today on the show, we're talking about how debt is the symptom, not the problem. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. I'm your co-host. And today, as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Trevor, for an episode where we talk about how debt is the symptom, not the problem. And, you know, I think a lot of people focus on debt as the problem they're trying to solve in life. And really, there's an underlying issue at play, and you can't ignore that. Otherwise, you're just going to go through this cycle of life where it basically peaks and valleys. Debt out of debt, debt out of debt. Until you solve the underlying problem that's causing the debt, that you will have this symptom in your life for your whole life. So a couple things I want to pull from that. The first and the more, most obvious piece is that mostly the narrative is I have debt. That is a problem. Debt and problem go hand in hand in basically every conversation that we have around the idea of debt. Well, if you think of, okay, I, I always like to draw the connection back to health. So if you think of somebody who's overweight, that is a problem. I, I, I can't, you can't deny it's a problem, but the weight itself isn't a problem that needs to be solved. It's the eating or the lack of exercise or some other thing that's causing the weight. So if you're in debt, it is without a doubt, it is a problem. Like I'm not denying that it's a problem, but you, if you just focus on solving debt, the problem of debt and getting out of debt, you will end up back there again in a, probably a very short period of time. So it's important to not focus on, on solving the debt problem. You got to peel back the onion and say, what is causing this to happen? So why do we do that? Why do you think that we focus on the surface level issue, the thing that is staring us in the face? Is it easier just to look at debt and say, aha, that is the problem? Well, I think people get into a panic mode and they they say, okay, I I have debt and I I can't even afford to make, I can't even afford to service this debt. Like I'm, I'm drowning in monthly payments and that appears to be a crisis. And, And when it's a crisis and you get into crisis management, you end up focusing on the wrong thing. So I, I think, okay, when you're, when you're struggling to make rent and and buy groceries and because you have all this debt in your life, you've designed a life you can't afford, then you, you end up in crisis management mode. And when, whenever you're in crisis management mode, crisis management serves a purpose in life, but it serves a purpose, a very short window. Is it useful over the long term? It becomes useless. And so crisis management, if you have debt collectors knocking on your door, you 100% have to focus on that debt and be in crisis management mode. But at some point, you have to step back and say, what's causing this debt problem? What What is the underlying root cause? Is it the $65,000 truck in my driveway that doesn't make financial sense? Possibly, right? That, that could be the, the cause. The symptom is the debt. So, I mean... And, and I just want to say, so... In life, in medical, health, anything, if you ignore the symptoms in your life, they will turn into bigger problems. So if you continue to ignore you have a chronic debt problem, it will eventually become, oh my God, I'm losing my house problem. It will just become something, or I'm going to have to declare bankruptcy problem. So if you ignore the symptoms of your health, if every time you go to put your jeans on, they don't fit, eventually 
you know, if you keep ignoring that, you you keep buying larger and larger jeans to solve that that problem is your pants don't fit. Eventually, you're going to have a heart attack. And you ignored the symptoms of the, my pants not fitting every time I take them out of the dryer. You know, I got to turn the heat down on that thing. <laughs> That's really not the problem, right? It's a symptom. So you you have to address the symptoms as they arise. So first of all, I love that connection that you made to kind of another another really relevant issue where the symptom problem dynamic arises. But but you are right. And I think I think we live in, in a world where we like to ignore those those symptoms because they're they're not fun to address usually. And they take like you brought up the check example, they take some 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 owner on us to to address them. They're not something that we like to admit to or like to take note of because they're usually not pleasant to, to kind of digest. Well, the problem with a symptom is they're not they often don't appear urgent. Yes. In that you know, you can quickly put that fire out with very little effort. You can quickly, like, just say you have your credit cards are all maxed out. You go get another credit card. You've temporarily, you know, sort of doused the flames on that fire and that the symptom has gone away temporarily. So dealing with the symptoms is it, it kind of way it's easy and, and it's obvious when you have to deal with the problem. You, you often have to look in the mirror and ask yourself real hard questions. But dealing with the symptoms, it, it's like everybody else is working with the same symptoms. You know, how challenging, you know, the solution is more common because everyone else is kind of dealing with that solution. Oh, I'll just go get another credit card. That's what my neighbor did. That's what my friend did. And then we'll go to Cuba. <laughs> it's that easy, right? But getting to the underlying cause, that, that becomes the, the uh, more, it requires more energy, more effort. Oh, for sure. And I mean, at one side of the equation, it's it's easier to ignore the symptoms, to close your eyes to them, to, to turn a blind eye. It's, it, that's the easier thing to do. But in the same breath, I think there's this illusion where our debt, the debt problem we find ourselves in, we feel that is a permanent situation. This, there's, there's that level of permanency around that. Well, debt can be in life. It can be it can be a permanent situation if you let it. If you want debt to be a, a permanent solution to your life's problems, it will be. It, it will always be there. And if you focus on that as the problem, you will always be, so, you'll, you'll spend your whole life trying to solve it. Debt will always be in your life if that's the only problem you're willing to solve. So in saying that, we can, by addressing the symptoms, and I think that's, really the core of this episode if we adjust the symptoms the earlier on that we can that situation can then not progress to a full-on problem is is that really the basis of of what we're getting at today no I, I don't think so I think if you address the problem causing the debt then you just you get out of that cycle sooner I don't think it, it's any easier I don't think it requires any less effort if if you have a sixty five thousand dollar truck in your driveway and that is causing you to not afford the rest of your, all the other aspects of your life. And you continue to rack up debt, compensating for a truck payment you can't really afford. Okay, the, uh, the problem probably does become worse slowly over time. It, it worsens and worsens. But solving the, the underlying problem, it still requires you to look in the mirror and say, I can't afford this truck. I have to get rid of it. Actually, the truck's a, a good example in that the longer you hold on to that truck, 
the more chaos it creates in your financial life. And then just say you should have got rid of it after one year, but it's three years later before you actually come to the realization, I can't afford this. That truck has lost a lot of its value. So getting, and you've created a lot of debt in the, in that three years. So the problem's huge. The, the underlying solution becomes less impactful in that you're going to get less money when you sell that truck, but you racked up a lot more debt because you didn't deal with it soon enough. So it actually manifests the longer you ignore it. Now that, that makes sense. And so in that example, just that tiny example, that, that truck, is that, is that a symptom of debt then? Or is that the actual problem? The truck is the problem. The symptom would be you're forever putting your day-to-day expenses on your credit card, or you're using your bank overdraft, or you're tapping into your home equity on a credit to afford the rest of your other aspects of your life because the truck payment is consuming so much of your disposable no, income. No, and, and that, that makes sense right there. And we are going to get in later into the show the 5Y method. And this is Trevor's method, and it's a, an effective tool in getting past the symptoms to find the actual cause. So we're going to dive into that in a few moments. But I first want to talk about the idea of, and it's something we talk about a lot on the show, but it's the idea for lifestyle and accepting the income that our lifestyle delivers. And this really, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Trevor, but I think this is the reason, the root of why we fall into these debt problems. So if you designed a life that your income can't support, so you, you've, you've created a lifestyle that you want, and just say it's a lifestyle that you know it requires a six-figure income, but you're making half of that. And, and you just say you, you're, you run in a circle of friends who earn six-figure incomes, and just say you earn $50,000 a year. Well, you're going to run into problems. Like you, 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 we've, had, we've done a show on surrounding yourself with, with people who help you make good decisions in life. So these could be really good people, but you run in the wrong circle of, of people who, who can afford more of a lifestyle than you can, and you're just going to end up in a hole. If you think, if, if, you, if you have a lifestyle that your income can't support. I like to call that a hobby. And here's where I come from. Just, just say you had a side business, something you were passionate about. Like uh, we, we have a, a mutual friend, Jace, who, who has a, th- a side business in thrifting where he, he finds things in thrift stores and he sells it online and he turns a tidy profit doing it. Now, that is something he's very passionate about. He enjoys that. It's not even work to him. He loves doing it. But if he tried to do that for a living, he just doesn't generate enough income at the moment to support his current lifestyle. So he's got two choices. He can ramp down his lifestyle. Obviously, there's a there's a floor to that. You can only ramp down your lifestyle so much before you're not eating and you have no shelter, right? right? There's a limit. Uh, or you can continue to do that as a hobby. And so for him, he's currently doing it. I'm going to call it as a side business or a hobby. He enjoys it. He makes some money doing it. So if, if you look at it that way, it, it becomes more realistic. But if you, if you're sort of bent on having a lifestyle, your income can't support, you're going to, this is a, a problem, but you will use debt to solve it. So debt will look like the problem, but it's only the symptom. No, that's, that's a really, really great example. And it just really exemplifies how you have to make sure your lifestyle and your income are coherent. I want to move on now to talking about how it's, it's the idea of deprivation. And I know this word comes up a lot when we do talk about debt. If you focus on solving debt as, as the problem, the solution 
is always going to be deprivation, meaning denying yourself things in order to solve your debt problem. And the whole deprivation as a solution in life, it becomes temporary. You may think it's permanent, but if you think of a, from a health standpoint, so you've gained some weight, you're going to go on a diet. A lot of people choose to go on a calorie-reduced diet. That is deprivation. And they know consciously or subconsciously that they're only going to do this for a small window of time. And so they, they think it becomes manageable, right? If you're doing this forever, it becomes misery. And it's, it just won't be sustainable. So with debt, if, if you try to solve debt as the problem and not the symptom, you will just deny yourself things to the point that you get frustrated and you go back to your old ways. So a way around this would be to adopt a, we've talked about this, for instance, adopt a minimalist mindset in some aspect of your life, the one that's causing you to ramp up debt. So it could be, your consumer purchases, like every, you're going to Costco and buying, like buying stuff you don't need. Become a minimalist in your electronics world. Become a minimalist in your clothing world. So become a minimalist in some aspect of your life. And you will, rather than just deprive yourself of things, adopt a, a, a lifestyle change. So this, this becomes the solution to the underlying problem. I'm consuming things that are causing me to rack up it or become a minimalist in your transportation needs. So a $65,000 truck is anything but a minimalist solution to transportation. A Honda Fit is a minimalist solution. Now, it might not work for your, if you have a large family or whatever, but if you don't, you know, that, that's, a, that's a mindset, a minimalist. It's an example of, of coming up with a solution to an underlying problem rather than just dealing with debt as the problem. I love that. I love that, that focus on it. I want to move on now to talking about what I mentioned earlier. And this is the five why method that you developed, Trevor. And it serves as an effective tool in getting past the symptoms and finding the cause of, of, of the situation you're in. So the five why method, okay, it's been around forever. I, I don't know if I invented it, but I, I, I've given it an application to this uh, debt be, being a problem rather than a solution. And the five whys really, you have to ask yourself why regarding a specific problem at least five times. And sometimes you can do it four times. Sometimes you do it three times. It depends on the complexity of the problem. But you have to ask why enough times to get to the underlying problem. So here, here's the example I've given. So why is my credit card maxed out? Well, we have no money to fix our furnace. So... I, this is an example that didn't happen to me, but I'm going to put one out here. So why don't we have any money to fix our furnace? We have no savings. Why do we have no savings? All of our income is going to cover our monthly expenses. Why is all of our income going to cover monthly expenses? Our car payment is 40% of our total expenses. So you could stop there and say, okay, this, I've got to a ridiculous scenario so that I've asked why four times and got to that, but just say you still got the blinders on. Why is my car payment 40% of my total expenses? Because I need to drive a $65,000 truck. So at, at some, I'm hoping at this point you would say, okay, this doesn't make sense, right? The, the, this financial equation is kind of upside down. And just as a side note, this is a whole other episode, but, uh, a car or a truck that you can actually afford can be paid for in in three years and should not exceed 50% of your household income. So that, that's just, just, just a benchmark of what you can actually afford in a car. But 
this is an example of you keep asking why enough times and you be honest with yourself when, when you come up with you know, answering your why. You quite often get to the underlying problem in short order. And we will have this in the show notes just so you can refer to it as, as, as Trevor's talking about as well for more of a visual look at it. But so I just want to kind of talk about what you just talked about here. So you're saying that we sometimes mistaken a max or credit card for the problem, but that is actually a symptom of owning that $65,000 truck and the truck is actually the problem. Did I, did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. But you know, drawing that connection without going through this series of, you know, why is this happening? It, it might not be us linking the max out credit card. You might look at your credit card state, statement and say, well, you know, uh, there's, 10 trips to Costco and there's dinner out and there's uh, the new leather coat I needed and there's uh, some stuff for the kids. And you'll look at that and say, this is the problem. All these expenses on my credit card, that's the problem. But it's, it's, you know, if you look at those things, you could say, well, we needed all these things. Okay. We didn't need the dinner out. So I'll stop going out for dinner deprivation and that'll solve my problem, but it won't, you know, that dinner was only like a, uh, $150 of your $2,000 credit bill. So did you really solve a problem? No. But if you focus on the credit card and the, the credit card statement as the problem, you're going to solve the wrong problem. The, those things on there are lifestyle expenses or life expenses that you needed to survive. They weren't, there's probably no luxuries on there, maybe just a few. And so you end up trying to solve something that's not really causing the problem. But if you get in the, so the, you, then you might say, okay, it's the furnace. You know, we have this old house, our furnace broke down. We need to buy a new house. Our, our house is too old. It's, it's a, it's, it's a money pit, you know, let's, let's move. And so y if you stop at the first question of why you might, you might again solve, you might move out of a perfectly good house and, and then you still have a problem. But if you keep asking why and keep digging down, why is this happening? You'll eventually get to something that appears to be ridiculous or, or something you go to five times and hopefully even at the fourth why you something ridiculous appears right that that's what you're trying to get to this is such an incredible and powerful powerful framework i have a few questions for you from this so first of all you mentioned that the dinner out which we know is a discretionary expense isn't actually the problem so in saying that are you saying that when we are going through this framework ourselves, that we should be looking at the more larger, more substantial expenses as the thing that is actually the problem. Is it ever the more minute kind of tinier expenses that is ever the actual problem? Well, when you look at your budget and everyone should have a documented budget and you have, just say you're just drowning in uh, financial debt. And if you're trying to solve that nut, look at your documented budget. And if you don't have one, well, that, there's part of your problem, but just assume you have one if you're listening to this podcast. And you would look at your largest expense first and say, is this, does this make sense given all my other expenses? Is basically what percent is my mortgage of all my other expenses? What percent is my car payments of all my other expenses? What percent is my grocery? So, you know, in my world right now, my biggest expense line item in my budget is food. So if I'm having a financial problem, I'm going to go to food first and say, is there any opportunity here to, to reduce this expense? Why would I go to my dining out budget, which represents 2% of, of my total expenses? If I solve the dining out problem in my budget, 
I've solved 2% of my problem. That's it, right? So go for the big ticket items. So, okay, so this is kind of off the five why thing, but I'm not saying your mortgage is the problem, but look at it and say, does it make sense given, you know, it, 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 having a mortgage that is gobbling up 60% of my income, it, does that make sense? I, am I house poor? And if you are, then getting another credit card to put your register your kids in hockey is not going to solve your problem, right? It, it is, it, you're just house poor. You have to sell this house. It doesn't make financial sense. So if you have a truck that is gobbling up 40% of your income in truck payments and financial institutions are, will loan you way more money than they should, so you could get into, into trouble quite easily that way, uh, if then it just doesn't make sense. Like, unless you are such a truck person that you're, you live and breathe trucks and you don't do anything else, and that was highly unlikely, but if just say tr driving a truck is the most important thing in your life and you don't do anything else, then maybe it does make sense because all your other expenses are so small that it, it all works, but generally it doesn't. So hearing all that, this tool, I mean, it is so effective and, and useful. And I mean, when you brought out that example of being house poor, but getting a credit card, I was like, wait, where's he going with this? What is the connection? But in actuality, that sometimes is the, the way that we go about doing things. We, we notice, we notice that we can't afford our house payment, but we get a credit card and it's it, after going through this tool, I'm just shaking my head at that that rationale. But it, it, it is the most obvious thing when you fully haven't gone through the whys of the scenario. Well, here's something that happened to me. So this is a, a real life story. So I we, I we paid off our mortgage in 15 years and we had a pretty aggressive plan right at the start. And we we were going really hard at this paying off this mortgage. And we ended up in a situation where we were so tight for money and we were like, there's just things we couldn't afford to do. And it was frustrating us. And we, we couldn't really put our finger on it. And we were looking at, you know, are we spending too much on groceries or maybe we got the kids enrolled in too many activities and it's costing us too much money. And we were looking at all these other things. And then we stood back and looked at our budget and says, well, look how much money we're putting down on that mortgage. I mean, that, that, that is that doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, looking at it from 5,000 feet, that number is so huge compared to all the other ones. I think, you know, we're trading uh, a little bit of enjoyment in life to get this mortgage paid off too fast. So we still did it in 15 years, but we, I, th I think we were on target for, for even, I think 12 years at one point. And we, we ratcheted that back to be a little less aggressive. So that was an example where I had something going on in my financial life that did not make sense. I was trying to accomplish something that really was becoming too uncomfortable. So I had to, but had I, had I thought, okay, I just need to go get a second job, you know, that'll solve this problem. That, that would have been treating the symptom of not having enough disposable income, right? I didn't look at my, I needed to stop and look at all of my expenses. No. And, and I, I agree with that completely. And this tool almost, I, I don't know when I, when I hear that, when I hear of a debt problem, it probably it, it feels overwhelming. There's a lot of variables to consider and I, I can't imagine what, what, what things you're running through your head. You're probably, like you said, running through your credit card statements and, and looking at all the things that you've spent your credit card with and on. 
but in actuality, it's like this exercise I did when I was younger. We filled it. We had a jar, empty jar, and we put rocks in first, bigger rocks, and then tinier pebbles. And, and then after that, we put sand in to fill the holes. And it kind of looking, using this tool reminds me of the same way. I mean, the first thing you're going to put into there is the rocks, which are the biggest expenses. So your home, your car, and then you start filling it in with more smaller and smaller expenses. So, I mean, in a small jar, you can probably only fit two to three rocks. And those maybe are going to represent your biggest expenses. And this tool really takes back the kind of the, the questions that come around about how did I get here? How did it get into this place of debt? Yeah, I think it's a pretty effective tool. I, I, I do the five why on, on a lot of aspects of my life, my health, my relationships, my money, you know, so five why is a really good tool. Uh, actually, we use it where I work too. It's a very effective tool. We do a five why analysis on a lot of things and get to root causes quite quickly. So, I mean, you read, you put the show together, you came up with an example. In actuality, if you were to apply this this method, this tool to an actual problem that you're facing, whether at work, whether at home, how long would it actually take you to to put together this list? Um, it, it depends on the complexity of the problem and my, my openness to solving it. You know, I, I, I sometimes I I too put the blinders on and it, and. I am in denial of what the root cause is, or I really don't want to accept the root cause. So quite often with my health, I focus on I'm not getting enough exercise, when really I need to make a dietary adjustment to what I'm eating. I'm eating something that tastes good, but it's probably not the greatest thing for my health, and I need to back off that particular food and and move into something more healthy. I don't deprive myself of food. I just, I just trade one, an unhealthy food for a healthy food, and I just stop buying it when I go grocery shopping in that mindset. But I will often ramp up the exercise rather than address my dietary intake in so, trying to solve a health problem or, or you know, a, a health need. And I think I think the big thing, and you kind of touched on this here, is that it involves putting your ego aside and being super honest with yourself about what is actually at hand. And, and that can probably, I can imagine, be the hardest thing to, to being able to effectively utilize this tool. Well, here's another five why. Just say you, you woke up and you had a really poor night's sleep. And you, I often, you know, try to just throw it off as to just, I was, you know, something I ate. You know, that, that, that's my go-to. <laughs> you know, I ate something that didn't agree with me. And that's why I didn't sleep well. But a lot of times you'll go to bed with something on your mind, something that was bothering you. And you will wrestle with it while you're trying to sleep and it will, you will end up with a bad night's sleep. And it could be at a very subconscious level. And it, you could try to, for me, okay, I've been trying to get into this meditative thing, meditation. And I, I try to do a little bit of meditation before I go to bed. And, and as I find it clears my mind, but it takes effort to do that. And it takes a lot of effort. And I, I'm the, la the last thing I'm going to say is, well, I didn't really put a lot of energy into the meditation before I went to sleep. And that's why I didn't have a good night's sleep. I, I know that's the, the problem. And sometimes if I do a five why, I will get to that. I will get to that as, as why I didn't sleep well. So that's an example. Another ask of my life that I use the five why in. It's a, no, it's a, it's a great application of it as well. I want to, so I, I want to move on now to talking about the transition of not seeing the symptoms. So what kind of happens when we don't see the symptoms and we just, 
live with this problem without being able to see the things that led to where you ended up. So there are five, uh, five kind of transitions that we go through for people not to see the symptoms. And the first one is the debt symptoms just gradually happen. Yeah. So don't expect to wake up one day and say, uh, holy smokes, I think we got to declare bankruptcy. You know, we, we're in deep, right? It's over for us. It, it, don't, don't think that is going to be how debt shows up in your life. It's going to happen so slowly. You, you will wake up day, one day and say, oh my God, I have seven credit cards and they're all maxed out. That, 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 will, that could be an aha moment in your life. I hope it isn't. But you will, you will end up, if, again, if you let debt be the solution to your problems and, and you look at debt as a problem, you will go through peaks and valleys of debt. But overall, if you look at the at a graph, the trajectory will be upward in terms of your, you will keep accumulating debt. And what a lot of people do, here's, here's a common uh, transition of debt for people. They will ramp, they'll, uh, ramp up about three credit cards, max them out, you know, 27% interest or whatever it is. And they'll say, oh, these interest payments on these credit cards are killing us. Problem to be solved, right? Let's consolidate these and at a lower interest rate. Or, hey, we're renewing our mortgage. Why don't we just roll this credit card debt into our mortgage and pay it off over the next 25 years? You know, the, we'll pay this TV off and that dress you bought over the next 25 years. That's really what you're doing. But you roll it into your, your mortgage or you consolidate it at a lower interest rate. And then all of a sudden, you hit a situation, a tight point where you your kid needs new skates for hockey and you your card, you go get another credit card. And you, you, you end up maxing that out. And then the ones you're rolled in your mortgage, they kind of, they're invisible. You, you don't even know they exist anymore. And you end up in this cycle. Again, you, you solved your debt problem and you solved your interest rate problem by rolling these credit cards in your mortgage. Now you've, you solved that problem, but the problem is going to reoccur. But again, the trajectory is upward on a graph in terms of the debt you're taking on. So it happens gradually. Don't expect this to come up and punch you in the face. It's going to come up and just tug at you a little bit at a time. And again, if, if we apply the, the, the why method, then we can identify these symptoms. Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. If you apply, the, but you have to be open to wanting to expose the problem. Like if you have to be open to, you know, getting rid of your, the car you can't afford. Like if you're not open to those things, then they won't, they will not appear as solutions. That is a super, super key. So the second transition that, and are the, I'm guessing uh, these are, are these in order or just these are different things that will happen? I think these are kind of in order. This is, this is kind of, it gets more intense as we go. So the second transition in that case is of not being, seeing the symptoms is that you are in a place of denial that anything has gone wrong or actually will go wrong. So this is where you, you know, something's not right, right? You know, something's not right in, in your world. It, 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 you have this uneasiness, this, this sort of, a, I call it a pebble in your shoe. It, it's not enough to make you stop and take your shoe off and shake the pebble out, but you'll keep walking on it. It'll keep irritating your foot and you'll walk on it every day, all day long. And, you know, until you're debt free, you don't know the weight that debt puts on your shoulders. It, until you become completely debt free, including your mortgage, when that day arrives, you won't know the weight you were carrying with you 
until it's gone. And it is, it is life changing. And I'm not exaggerating. So if you will be in denial that you have a debt problem, well, you'll, you'll, you'll think it's a debt problem. You'll be in denial with the underlying problem is. So you, you're, you're denying that you'll be in denial that you can't afford the $65,000 truck. You know, that is a denial. You know, in terms of affording a, a car, you, sh- you should at s- just say your first car you have to borrow th- money for. And like I've always said, three years max. At some point, your, your next car or the car after that, you should be buying cash for. So your, your solution to transportation shouldn't be this revolving door of debt. That means you are in denial that, that you, your, your, drive, your transportation choices are beyond your income. Like it's not, you can't afford the, if you're always borrowing money to buy your next car and you're 50, you're choosing cars that you can't really afford. So the third transition of not being able to see the symptoms is that you believe your, your situation is temporary. And this one is so dangerous. So you, you believe you've just hit a tough time, right? A few expenses have showed up in your life and they kind of stacked up behind each other. And this is, this is just temporary, right? So let's just say you actually had an emergency fund and your fridge went down, your washer went down and something $700 repair showed up in your car, right? All in the same month. And your emergency fund was completely drained. Plus you had to put another $500 in your credit card. And you said, well, this is, yeah, I just hit a string of bad luck. This is temporary, right? I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to rebound from this. And then the next month, something else happens. And of course, your emergency fund's already been drained. You're $500 in the hole for your car repair. And you got another $300 unbudgeted expense that shows up in your life. And you end up, if you're so close to the financial edge, there's always going to be something happening in life. that. So the underlying problem is is you've, you've... you're too close to the financial edge. So you have too many financial problems or too many financial expenses in your life. So you're, you're right at the edge. That is the problem. You've got something in your life that doesn't make financial sense, but you're, you think debt is the problem or you think it's your fridge or you think it's your, you know, it was just this bad string of bad luck, but you, you should be in a position to handle, you should have enough room in your flexibility in your financial life for those, those peaks and valleys. Right. So it's, it's, you think it's temporary, but it's not. I think this would apply to this specific point, but it also would apply to the last point too, where we talked about your denial that anything has gone wrong. I think, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think that we sometimes get hit with this need or this feeling that we want to put place blame on anything or anyone but ourselves. And I mean, that could is is that a symptom just not wanting to to face the reality that it could be that $65,000 truck which is a decision that you Well it, it's it's we did a show on this it's called owning your financial decisions. So when you make a financial decision and if you take ownership of it then when it goes wrong or it no longer makes sense then because you you own that decision like it didn't just happen to you 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 chose it. You chose that $65,000 truck and you knew like, if you own that decision, then you, you own 
the potential risk that it's going to bring into your life. Like that, that's, that's a growing up way of looking at it. So if, if you, if you own that decision, if you didn't just buy that truck because society thought it was a good idea, you know, society says I need this much space to move my family around. That's not you owning it. You being deliberate and saying, I want to buy that truck because it's going to make sense in my life. You know, I've got a trailer to pull. I've got kids to move around and I'll do whatever it takes to make sure I can afford that truck. That's owning it. But, but buying that truck because society says, you know, everyone's got one, it must be the right thing to do. That's not owning it. And so when things go wrong in your financial life and you don't look at the truck as the problem because society says you should own one, then that's you being in denial. Definitely. So number four or five, so the fourth transition of not seeing the symptoms is you never have disaster plan in place. So what does this look like and how does it differ from emergency fund? Well, having a disaster plan is really nothing more than having a documented budget and separating your expenses between mandatory and discretionary. And when somebody gets laid off and you think it's temporary right? And just say it is temporary, but they get another job. But then the, their new job is at a reduced pay, right? So you're not making as much money as you were at your previous job. You got laid off from, you're making half as much at your new job, but you still believe that's temporary, right? I'm still going to get back to my original wage, but at some point temporary becomes permanent. And if you don't have a disaster plan, meaning these are the expenses I need to survive. And these are the expenses that make my life comfortable. If you don't have that kind of a view of your, your spending, then you don't know where to start cutting expenses. And that to me, that is a, a, that's how simple a disaster plan is, is if I got laid off, if, if my household income went to 50% of what it used to be, these are the expenses I would get rid of. And, and hopefully your, your financial life has that much flexibility in it. You're not that close to the financial edge. And so that's that's a disaster plan in a nutshell. So in saying that, that almost so pretend you could you could afford that sixty five thousand dollar truck on your original income, and all was fine. That truck actually wasn't a problem. Everything was just perfectly fine. You're saying that having that disaster plan in place, if you were not to have it in place, I guess that disaster plan and keep that truck, that truck would therefore then become a problem when your income became split in half. But with that disaster plan in place, you can make sure that truck doesn't become a problem. Well, it's kind of crazy. So just say you, you got laid off and you did get another job uh, a month later, but at a, a, you know, half the pay at some point temporary becomes permanent. So with that truck, you have to decide when, how long do I wait before I get rid of this truck? That doesn't make sense. Like when, when does temporary become permanent? And that, that's a judgment call for everybody, right? That, but if you keep letting, uh, permanent be temporary and, you know, three years later, you still are working at the same job at half the pay, but trying to afford the truck that doesn't make financial sense anymore. That's, to me, you have to revisit your budget and decide, okay, you could break your truck payment into two things. You could say this much uh, car expense makes sense giving our income and, you know, I'm paying uh, uh, double that in truck payment. So 50% of my car expense is got to be 
part of my disaster plan, right? I, I have to, at some point, there might be a need to reduce that expense. No, that makes sense. And that really leads us into the last point, uh, number five. So the fifth transition of not seeing the symptoms is that your ego becomes your enemy. And this one, I mean, we are, it's not like you can't have an ego. We, we all come with them. They, they, that, that's humans are pre-wired to have egos. That, that's what makes us tick. But when ego gets in the way of smart decisions, it becomes your enemy. You sometimes you have to, you know, check your ego at the door is a common expression and do the adult thing. So there's an expression. So kids do, children do what they want. Adults do what they have to. And sometimes owning that, that shiny thing, our child mind is making the decisions, but sometimes you have to put that aside and use your adult mind to say, I have bigger responsibilities I have to deal with that this will have to wait until some other time in my life. So don't let ego get in the way of solving your problem. In fact, ego will often lead you down the path of believing your debt is your problem when it is actually your symptom. I love that. So we have two sections left in the show. We're going to talk about problems that look like symptoms, and then we're going to talk about the problem with solving symptoms. So let's start on our first, uh, first of two final sections. So we're going to kind of walk through seven problems that look like symptoms. And these go in, in order of intensity. I mean, they, they start out light and they end up pretty serious. So problems. So this list again is, is pro actual problems that we may think are symptoms. So the first one is lifestyle inflation. So lifestyle inflation, I mean, it, it looks like a symptom, meaning we're, we're, we have expenses in our life we can't afford. Uh, it, it's lifestyle inflation is a problem, not a symptom, right? It, it's a problem to be solved for sure. It, but it, it'll look like a symptom in that if lifetime inflation leads to consumer debt, that again, you're looking at your credit card statement and you think all the problems are on your credit card statement, but they aren't. It's the overall lifestyle that has inflated. So I think this one, that one's pretty common. As like this next one, so the next one is car poor. So the next two, so we got car poor and house poor. Quite often you'll buy a, a, a car or a truck or whatever that you can't really afford but you really want it, like again, if it if it's gobbling up too large of a percent, I use those guidelines either. You you can pay for it, your car in three years, and it can't exceed fifty percent of your household income. Anything with wheels that you own, you add them all together, they should not exceed fifty percent of your household income. That is a great guideline to know if if your car makes sense. The next one is being house poor. This is a tough one. You know, the buying and selling houses is very expensive. Real estate commission, legal fees, land transfer tax. There's a lot of transaction fees in buying and selling houses. So the less often you do that, the better off you're going to be. But you, 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 if you heard of the term starter home, so this is buying a, a really small home, maybe a fixer upper. And the, a, a lot of people do that because that's all they can afford. And then eventually they want to get into a larger home where they can raise a family and be comfortable. The problem is if you buy and sell houses too often, it's going to eat away your equity. But if you buy too much house right out of the gate, you end up being house poor. And 
what you'll end up doing is racking up a lot of debt to, to compensate for the, all the money that's going into owning that house, making that mortgage payment. And then that, that is when your house poor, that, that is the problem. But the symptom, again, you'll look at your credit card statement and try to solve that problem and being house poor that that's a common one. I, I see a lot of people do this. And would you say it's common just because if we're kind of looking at everything going on in our life, we may say to ourselves, oh, but we need to own a car. We need to own a home. Do you think that's why those those two kind of can be overlooked sometimes when we are trying to, to look at the underlying problems? Well, you need to own a car. You need to own a, you. Okay, you don't need to own a car and you don't need to own a house. It depends where no. you live. But but most people, I agree. Like I, I've owned a car for a long time, but I've owned a house for a long time. Like these just seem hard to look at. They just seem hard to, I, I just, they're huge, but I feel like they get overlooked. But I think it's making the right decision out of the gate. The problem is the lending institutions are set up to lend you more money than they should to live comfortably. So you will, the banks will give you more money than you can really afford to repay to buy a house. And you can get approved to buy a lot more car than you can really afford to repay. Like, for instance, a car, you can borrow money over eight years to buy a car. Well, that's crazy. I mean, at the end of eight years, there's, there's okay, just say you got 10 years out of the car, you only had two years of no car payments. And then guess what? You're right back into eight years of car payments. And with a house, if the thing with a house is you can borrow the money amortize it over 25 years. And at the end of your mortgage term, say you had a five-year term, you can re-up for another 25 years. You, they will let you, they will design financial instruments to make you be in debt forever, like to never be out. So you need these things in life, but you, they can make you poor at the same time. So the fourth problem that we might actually just think is a symptom is job loss. So this is where you lose your job, but you don't make any lifestyle adjustments, even temporary, which you talked about the budget, mandatory discretionary. When you, when someone gets laid off from a, and I think we're on the front edge of a recession. I hate to be Mr. Doom and gloom, but <laughs> anybody's been following the news, things are looking pretty dark right now. So if you get laid off from your job, you have to come home that day and cancel every discretionary expense you got. And just say you overreacted, just say you, you know, you did scorched earth on all this stuff and, and it was overreacted. Well, I like the idea of bleeding these things back into your life as you can afford them rather than taking them away when you're ramped up, you racked up a whole bunch of debt trying to sustain a lifestyle that your income can't deliver anymore. So job loss, again, it, it looks like a symptom but it's actually a problem. Number five is divorce. So divorce, I'm, I have no experience with it, but it can be financially crippling. And a lot of times you take, it, it's far less expensive for two people to live than it is for one. So you go through a divorce and it, you, a lot of people try to, that I, I know that have gone through divorce, they try to maintain a similar lifestyle with, with very little transition. I, I think divorce can be financially crippling if you let it. The sixth of seven problems that we may just think are symptoms is, is illness. So illness, this is, if you are missing time from work, if you're on sort of a, 
short-term or long-term disability insurance coverage, you end up with a reduced rate of pay. Uh, quite often, long-term disability, it pays you 50% of your uh, regular salary. And that, again, if you're trying to sustain the same life, you're going to end up racking up debt. And then the, the, the underlying problem is the illness, you're off on long-term disability, that you can't solve that problem, but that that is the problem. And then what needs to be solved is how much income, how much life can we afford given this income? But again, you will try to sustain the exact same life and you will use debt to accomplish that. And finally on this list is the most serious of all of them, and it's it's death. So a death in the family, uh, you you a lot of times you lose uh a, a pension or part of a pension. There's survivor benefits, but it's not at the same rate. It's the same as an illness. You end up with reduction in income. You have to make the adjustments given the reduction in income. So given this list of actual problems, these, when we go through the five Y method, these are the things that we're trying to get to. And I, I mean, we know this list obviously isn't conclusive, but have you found in your in your personal finance journey that most of the times you have, it has got boiled down to maybe one of these seven points or, or probably a few others, but it, it kind of always comes back to these. It does. These, these seven things, they tend to be, you know, lifestyle inflation is usually the root cause of, of a lot of people's financial problems. But again, the problem appears to be debt. You know, they're, they're looking at the credit card statement, trying to solve the problem. They must be in here somewhere, right? They, we did something wrong <laughs> on this credit card. But you've just inflated your life and it's happened so gradually, so subtly that you don't notice it. And you designed a life given an income. Now, your your income generally goes up every year, but it's going up for inflation, right? It's going up for at a rate at the rate that your expenses, in theory, are going up by. So you, if, if your life... If, you, if the cost of your life is going up greater than the rate of inflation, then you have what's called lifestyle inflation, which is on top of just general inflation. So the final thing that we're going to touch on in today's show is the problem with solving symptoms. So again, these symptoms, as we mentioned, are the credit card statements that we receive and, and looking at what we think is actually the problem, but instead it's just a symptom. So there are four problems with solving these symptoms. The first is all solutions are temporary. And this is the most important one. So if you are solving the debt problem, so debt is the problem you're focused on it. This is it. The solution, as I said earlier, is deprivation and deprivation in life. I mean, for humans in all aspects of life, deprivation is temporary. It requires discipline and willpower that will run out. You know, you're only so strong and you will you'll need time off from your solution if if you're focusing on the symptom of debt. I have a question for you then around that. If we if so if we look at a credit card statement and we notice that we are going out to eat a lot, going out to eat a lot, we can easily identify is simply a symptom. But Underlying that, if we go through the why method, would we not get to uh, the idea that maybe we are living an inflated lifestyle, thinking that we can eat out more than our income will allow us to? Eating out could be the cause, right? That could really be the problem. But if you're looking at your documented budget and you have eating out as a category, as you should, if it only represents 2% of your total expenses, or even 5%, which, which would be a lot of eating out, 
of all your expenses, then if you solve that, you've only solved 5% of your problem. Now, if you have a pro, if you, if your problem is only 5%, meaning you're overspending your, your income by 5%, if that is, is your problem, then you've solved it. But generally speaking, if you're, if you have a chronic debt problem, your problem is bigger than dining out. I, I don't doubt you have too much going on. That's a great place to start. Like no, no question, but I doubt that's going to solve your problem. If you have a, a chronic debt problem, like if you're and here's the thing with, with solving the underlying problem is it ends up being a double edged sword. So let's just say you have a, a car payment you can't afford. I don't know why I keep going back to that one, but I am. And just say it's $700 a month and it's just killing you. And you sell that brand new car and you buy a used car and your car payment is $500 a month. So you're $200 a month to the good. So you take that $200 a month and you pay down your debt. And then you take that $200 a month when the debt's gone and put it in a savings account. Now you've just turned everything upside down and now you're saving money instead of hemorrhaging it. This is where by solving the problem, you, your life gets exponentially better, not, not just linear. You, you've taken a problem and turned it into a, a solution on steroids. Now you, you actually have a savings strategy instead of a debt repayment strategy. That's so good. I love that example. So the second problem with solving symptoms is that you never actually get to the root cause. And this has been the theme through the whole episode is, is not getting to the root cause means you never really understand the problem. And I, I know where I work, we do this five why thing. And I always roll my eyes at this, doing this five why we go, we get into a meeting with a bunch of people and we put, get a big whiteboard out and we write down, you know, the original problem. And we say, why did this happen? And everyone kind of weighs in on why it happened. And I always roll my eyes saying, what a waste of time. And by the time we get to the fifth why, I'm always blown away that I did. I never guessed we were going to get here. And we would go around the room and we'll say, did anyone guess that we'd get to this solution? And nine times out of 10, I mean, if everyone's being honest, nobody in the room thought they really knew what the, the problem was. And it, it always blows my mind how we got, how we get to the solution and how nobody really you know, everyone thought they knew. Everyone came to this meeting thinking they knew what the problem was. And by the time we get to the fifth why, we're all pretty blown away with what it really was. That's powerful. I love that. Um, so the third problem with solving symptoms is that you never get ahead financially. You keep trying to solve the same problem. And you just end up with peaks and valleys. So just say you think your problem is somewhere on your credit card statement and and you you consolidate your debt and you say, okay, we're never eating out again. And, you know, a year from now, you've got another credit card maxed out and you're saying, you know, 27% interest. We gotta, we gotta get, you know, get something with a lower interest rate. Let's, let's roll this into our mortgage. How convenient is that? And then you end up, you know, and cut up the credit card. And then a year from now, you end up with another credit card because you needed to book a hotel room or buy something on Amazon. And it was just convenient. And before you know, you've racked up another one. And you just keep going through this cycle, right? These peaks and valleys of debt solution, debt solution, debt solution. You never really figure it out. 
It definitely goes back to that whole um, kind of ups and downs uh, in your previous example of, of uh, trying to improve your health or your fitness. So the last but not least on this list of the problem solving symptoms is symptoms don't have solutions. And they really don't. They, they have, if you think of, okay, I like to use the weight one. Just say your genes don't fit. That is a symptom of eating too much food. So if you deal with the symptom, so the problem is you're eating too much food, but the symptom is my genes don't fit. If you go out and buy larger genes, did you solve a problem? Is that the is is that the problem you wanted to solve? Did you really want just want pants that fit, or did you want those specific pants to fit? That's the question you got to ask yourself. It, what what is the outcome you want? If you just wanted pants to cover the lower half of your body, if that was really the problem you're trying to solve, then I guess you did. But if you wanted that specific size of jeans to cover the bottom half of your body, then you didn't solve the problem. But you, you, by buying larger jeans, you did cover the bottom half of your body, but that isn't what you're trying to solve. So good. That is such a good example. So Trevor, that brings us to the end of today's show on debt is a symptom, not the problem. We started out the show today by talking about our lifestyles and, and, the in, and supporting our, the lifestyle that our income delivers. We talked about the five why method and how that is an effective tool to getting past the symptoms and finding the actual cause. We talked about the transition of not seeing the symptoms, the problems that look like symptoms. And finally, we concluded by talking about the problem with just trying to solve our symptoms. On that note, thank you so much for being here with us today for this show. We can't wait to have you back here with us next week for a brand new episode. Until then, keep it simple. <laughs>